This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. I'm Evan Novi Williams, and you're listening to the Sportacast. All right, Evan. We got some good basketball being played in Brooklyn. Everybody tells me that the Nets will never lose another game. That's what I'm hearing, that they, they, they will never, ever lose another game. So uh, John Abamondi, the CEO of BSE Global, parent company of, of course, the Nets and the Barkley Center, is our guest this week. John, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. You are doing great. I mean, you know, are the, is the team ever going to lose again? Uh, you, you'll have, you'll, <laughs> I mean, give me an I hope not, but uh, so, things so are looking is, pretty good. The answer is almost certainly yes, um, uh, but we're taking it one game at a time. All right, let me keep it very simple on the macro level, 30,000 30, foot view of this. How is the business of not only basketball, but entertainment arenas, uh, where, are we, or where are we right now? Well, I mean, it's no surprise to you or your listeners that this has been a really challenging year for, for our entire industry. Um, but, you know, it's amazing the, the changes that we've gone through in the past 12 months. You know, you think about a year ago, we were playing or about to play in a bubble in Orlando. Um, and then we went from that to what I call uh, producing a television show, essentially playing in, a, in our own arena without fans. Uh, to limited fans. And now we're essentially back at full capacity. Uh, we had over 15,000 people in the building for, for game two of this series against Milwaukee. Uh, every seat sold except for, you know, the, uh, the NBA still requires us to keep some, some extra distance around the court um, uh, for health and safety of the players. But we're essentially back to normal, I'd say 90, 95% back to normal at this point. So things are good. When you say back to normal, certainly capacity wise, I see it. When you look at other revenue streams for things like concessions, um, for merchandising, is that also back to normal? Are you seeing fan patterns in terms of what they're spending in the arena different in COVID times than they might have been a, a year and a half or two years ago? Yeah, I think we're seeing what um, most of the retail sector is seeing, right? Which is that folks have a lot of... Um, there's a lot of pent up retail demand. So yes, when people coming at, are coming out, they're they're spending more on food and beverage. They're spending more on merchandise. Uh, I think you know people were pent up over the last year and, and didn't get a chance to to do a lot of the things that they enjoy doing, and and so they're taking advantage of it now. 
Yeah, I mean, do I look at the gauge of Dick's Sporting Goods and their earnings to say, yep, I can see people are going back outside. They're buying, like me, they're buying baseball gloves, they're buying camping equipment, fishing equipment, whatever it may be, but great earnings. But it's not like you didn't utilize the time, John. You guys did some things around the arena and took advantage of, as we used to joke with the Lakers, they were showtime and slow time. You know, <laughs> you were moving into showtime, but you had some slow time. Uh, update us on how you updated the arena and how you utilized the, the time with, with no fans. Well, we did. We, we, as we like to say around here, we try to use this time to go on offense rather than defense. And so we, we knew we were going to be playing an extended period of time with fewer fans in the building. And we wanted to make sure that, uh, and we're really targeting the fall to be honest with you. But when, when we get back to full capacity, we wanted the arena experience to be better than ever. You know, our building's still new. It's, it's only nine years old. Uh, but we felt that there were some opportunities to address some things that maybe had been difficult to address when we were hosting events, you know, almost almost every other night. So um, a few of those things we, we, we put in a new team store, uh, which we're really proud of. If you get a chance to come out to the arena, check it out. It's, it's great. Uh, we put in a new American Express contactless store where fans can literally just walk in, tap their American Express card, grab snacks, merchandise, whatever it is that they want, and then they just walk out. There's no checkout process. And it's really designed to you know, get fans back to their seats as quickly as possible so they miss as little of the action as they can. And um, you know, then on the other end of the spectrum, on the premium side, I think the thing we're most proud of is our crown club, uh, our new courtside club that we're developing in partnership with major food groups. That's going to be open in the fall uh, for next season. And um, you know, our aspiration is to have it be the – the best reviewed restaurant opening in New York City this fall. Yeah, I don't know if you'll have these analytics, but you just talked about you just tap your American Express card and the design is to get you back to your seats quickly so you don't miss action. But there has to be some analytics and maybe it's on the retail side if you have them. Do you know how much more people spend in such a situation than if they have to open their wallet and hand over cold, hard cash? It's almost like it, it's less pain because you're not forced to actually hand that money over. Yeah, I, I, there may be something to that. Look, we, we we didn't approach it from that perspective. We approach it from the perspective of trying to solve a consumer problem, right? And so every time we're – anything we do here on the business side, we're always thinking about, like, what is, this, what is the impact on the fan and how are we making the experience better for the fan? And so in that one, it's pretty clear, right? Like nobody likes waiting in lines um, and people want to get back to the game as quickly as possible. So this enables them to do that. If they wind up spending more money, great. But we're really trying to enhance the experience and make this – the best arena experience in the world. Uh, that was our driving factor. I will tell you, it is immediately um, our either our busiest or or high second or first or second most high revenue location in the building. Uh, so fans have, have really flocked to it. Okay, I, I think you know where I'm going to go with this one. But when I think of long lines and sporting arenas, there's one place that I that I really think of, and I'm curious: have there been any changes? Us. No, 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 no. Just, I think this is across the board. Is it the bathroom? It's the bathroom. Exactly. And I'm curious uh, of the things you can improve. Wait times at bathrooms is a big one. Ingress and egress to building, bathroom wait times, concession wait times. I'm curious, has there been any change in sort of how you approach bathroom lines? Has technology helped or is that something to conquer for another day? You know, it's, um, it's not, I don't believe it's an acute problem in our building. Um, you know, we're pretty modern design. I mean, we're, we're only, again, nine years old. So we're, 
were. Uh, yeah, but John, you do realize that there are some owners of sports teams that after nine years are saying, I need a new facility and I need taxpayers yeah, to pay yeah, for it. Like, yeah. no, I'm so glad you're saying only nine years. And by the <laughs> way, you know, Joe Ty is paying for this. You're not asking taxpayers for money. Yeah. That's not always the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand. I understand. Listen, I think that um, I think that our lines are, are not bad. Um, what I would say is on the concession side, because that, that's that you brought that up as well. What's interesting there is, and I think all uh, all teams are facing this. I've talked to people across the country. Um, we're just having we can't get enough workers, right? And so, if anybody's listening to this and, and wants to, you know, start out an entry level job in sports, I mean, we we need people to uh, to work at our games, and uh, you know, the economy is doing really well right now coming out of this pandemic, and everybody is struggling to get people to staff concession stands, et cetera. Can I can I ask one thing because it's being bandied about, and this is a political question. This is everything, but how much does it pay? Uh, I'd have to come back to you with those exact uh, figures, but we pay very competitive rates. I can tell you that. John, can we go back to, to January? You guys acquired James Harden. Big, massive deal, obviously, rocked the NBA. In normal pre-COVID times, a deal like that probably sells out the arena for the next few nights. Uh, there's probably a huge surge in, in jersey sales, et cetera. What was the business impact you guys saw from that transaction at a time when you weren't having fans in the building at all? Well, listen, I think the the main metric for us, you know, for the, at least the first half of the season was our television ratings. And mm. you know, those were up approximately 70% year over year. So uh, that right there, I think, tells you the you know, dramatic increase in interest around our team. Um, and, you know, that's continued to grow as fans have come back into the building. Is there a feeling, and, and maybe I'm overthinking this, this is the best, possibly the best season the Nets are going to have had in a long time. The fact that it comes during a year where you were not capitalizing on a lot of the, the ticket sales that you might have, is it this the, is this the best possible year because revenue has been down or is this the worst possible year because you can't maybe capitalize on it in, in the same way that, that you would have maybe next year? You know, I, look, I think in terms of the business, the right way to think about this is separating, you know, short-term cash flows from long-term asset value, right? And so what we're really focused on here is building uh, long-term asset value, really building a um, preeminent franchise, uh, actually, frankly, a portfolio of franchises that will, uh, over time, become amongst the most recognized and valuable in the world, right? And so, uh, did we have fewer fans in the building this year because of COVID than we would have liked to have had? Sure, everybody faced that challenge. Like we we got dealt the same hand, uh, and we played it as well as we could. I think what we're really focused on is building that fan base and and that next generation of fans, so that you know when we when this run is over for as many years as it goes, we've really capitalized on that. And, um, and we have a new generation of Nets fans that will be with us for the rest of their lives. How important is winning a title to that long-term asset value? Uh, there's a lot of research that shows it's, it's, it's very important. Um, but, you know, it's not binary, right? We're having a lot of success this season. Uh, we hope to go all the way to the finals and, and hope to win the finals. But, um, you know, whether we're, whether we're successful in that ultimately or not, I think we've really performed at a high level this year and, and our fans have enjoyed it. Now let me ask you, like you just talked about the team and it's about really asset value. How, what's the plan? I mean, obviously you, you have Joe Ty as your owner. The parent company is called BSC Global. Do you view the Brooklyn Nets as a platform company or do you view it as a sports team? 
the the tent poles around this asset increase, at least around sports, are media, finance, real estate. What are the tent poles looking forward for the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, I'd, I'd answer the question with slightly differently. You know, we we talk a lot about being hyper local, but having global aspirations. So, um, what does that mean for us? We we are the Brooklyn Nets. We are bringing. We are trying to bring world class basketball and live entertainment, music, comedy, et cetera, to Brooklyn. Um, that's the business that we're in. Um, but Brooklyn itself has become a global brand, and people all around the world associate music and fashion and art and culture and food with with the borough. And and so, as as we reflect our borough back out into the world, uh, we think it's an opportunity for us to build an authentic fan base globally that not only loves great basketball, but loves everything that Brooklyn stands for. Um, and so and so that's what we mean when we think about being both hyper-local and global. I can't wait, Evan. There's going to be a global food co-op. I can't wait. <laughs> While we're on the topic, John, uh, the BSE also owns the, the New York Liberty. WNBA season started about a month ago, 25th season. What have you seen in terms of you know, this year and growth over the past few years uh, for, for the W and, and, and what does that look like in the future? Well, uh, I hope you'll have my partner, Kia Clark, who's the CEO of the Liberty on, on your show. Uh, she's an incredible executive and, and is doing an amazing job leading that franchise. Um, you know, I think that the WNBA in many ways is, is just getting started. I think the interest in women's sports is going to grow uh, dramatically over time. Uh, the the athletes in that league are the best in the world at what they do. And, and I'm just really, you know, I, I mostly experience the Liberty as a fan um, and, and I'm a big fan. So I've been enjoying going to the games. Can I pry a little bit more, John, just really about, about the aspirations in, in creating a global brand and what the tentacles will be? Like, what is that grand plan? Um, yes, you have the team, you have Brooklyn's a brand, the Nets have a winning basketball team. But what will be the tentacles that grow from that? And how far is the reach? How do you do it? So I, th- I think it starts with being authentic. And, I, and, and that's part of what we try to do. You know, so I'll give you an example. This year, we debuted our new City Edition uniform, uh, which was inspired uh, by the art of Jean-Michel Basquiat. Basquiat, uh, famous, yes. Famous Brooklyn artist, globally recognized icon in the modern art world. And, you know, we... We think we executed on that well. We, our fans have certainly really responded to that. And, you know, it's it's something I think that could only be done in Brooklyn and, and frankly, that this franchise could, could only do authentically. And so it's not the first time that we've brought art and the broader culture of Brooklyn into our, into our brand. Um, when you think about, you know, artists like Biggie. Um, and others, we've we've tried to reflect all of that in in the Brooklyn Nets and in Barclays Center. And so, I think those are the sort of the tentacles that we view as as if, you know, if I use your word of of like how we bring our brand to life um, and how you know in our own way we speak to this larger NBA goal. I think the NBA has always done an amazing job of not only entertaining diehard basketball fans. You know, I I count myself amongst that group, but also more casual fans that that uh, are drawn into the NBA because it does overlap with so many other areas of, of popular culture. Eben knows me so well and has sat next to me for so long that he probably knows it is taking every 
every iota of strength I have not to break out into more money, more problems right now. I mean, if you bring up Biggie, I, I, I mean, I'm really fighting it. So, but that's not the case in sport, right? It's a, more money does not create more problems in sports, does it? Um, does more money create more problems? Yes. I don't know. I, I, that's, a, that's a good question. That, we're getting philosophical now, Scott. I thought that was gospel. <laughs> if, if you feel like you've got too much money, you should come spend it with us. All right. Well, or maybe I'll, just, maybe I'll take the job. You, you, please. I, I have a son who costs me so much money. As you know, he's an ice hockey player. So I have no disposable income because I have a kid who plays travel ice hockey. So you, you should know you should know what that's about. Between between the Marriott's, the food, the equipment, the tournaments and everything. I am busted. Forget it. Well, well all kidding aside. Right. Like that's you bring up a really interesting point. And and um you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to work in a number of different sports. I think one of the things that's beautiful about basketball um, is that it is so accessible for kids to play. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of money. Huge uh, advantage. Just give me a ball and there's a hoop. The public parks, like when I go to Toronto and exactly. notice I didn't say Toronto, it's Toronto. When I go up to uh, the six, as they say, um, on the corner of like not every street, but every town has a public ice rink. And yeah. you wonder why they, you know, they're playing shinny. They've got these pickup games. I can't imagine that being here, but like you said, the access to it's so important. All you need is the ball. That's it. Yeah. Go play. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And so it's a very accessible sport for people to pick up and play uh, in their youth and, and to continue into adulthood. Um, we're also, we also are equally committed to making experiencing NBA basketball and experiencing Brooklyn Nets basketball uh, accessible to, to our fans. Right. And so we have a number of programs where we are deliberately pricing tickets well below market prices, but trying to make sure that they get into the hands of, of folks who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford to go to an NBA game. I'll give you an example uh, briefly. You know, there, there's a long tradition in New York City, as you know, um, primarily on, in places like Broadway, uh, where even a, uh, a the hottest show on Broadway, uh, like a Hamilton, will set aside a certain number of tickets for, for people to get at very discounted prices, but they've got to line up. Right. They got to stand online for several hours and get those tickets. And that opens theater to an audience that otherwise would be priced out. Uh, and we're doing the same thing. We've partnered with Hot 97 FM here in New York, and we're offering 97 tickets for every playoff game for nine dollars and seventy one cents. Folks have to stand online. There's a big line outside of our box office every morning at 10 a.m. Um, but, you know, we want to make sure that the game is accessible to to everybody in the borough of Brooklyn. And uh, and, and we're committed to that. John, I've spoken with a number of arena operators, folks in the ticketing world, all of whom say that arenas like the Barclays Center are going to end up doing a lot more third-party events than maybe they would have in the past, off days when the Nets aren't playing or off-season. What does your summer and maybe the the off nights heading up into the fall look like? Do you think you guys are going to be one of those that are doing a lot more you know, non-Nets basketball games, both to kind of fill dates, to, to bring in extra money, and also because there are a lot of concerts that had to cancel tours that are now trying to kind of rush to rebook for the fall and next year. Yes, no question. We're also in the very much in the live entertainment business. We have, I, I believe it's the second busiest arena in North America uh, mm. when it comes to live entertainment. And, and, and how so, busy is that? How many off dates do, do you guys actually have in a given year? Well, we'll see how this, this current year, you know, unfolds. I mean, we, we expect that the touring business will really on indoor arenas will really get back in a full swing in the fall. We have a lot of shows booked for the fall and beyond. Um, summertime, as you know, tends to be heavier in outdoor amphitheaters. So we think Jones Beach will have a will have a great summer. Um, 
but um, but no, this fall, I mean, we have we just announced the other day uh, that we have this week, actually, that we have uh, the MTV VMA uh, show coming back to Barclays Center in, in September. Uh, Mark Anthony is playing about a week later. And uh, we have we have a really robust lineup of shows that we've announced and more that we are going to announce soon. I do think you're going to see a really heavy concert schedule for the next couple of years. You know, these artists nowadays primarily make their living on the road um, and they haven't been able to tour. And so I know they're excited to get back out there and play in front of their fans and we're excited to host them. When, from an economic standpoint, in as much detail as you can, how does a standard Nets regular season game compare to a Mark Anthony concert at the Barclays Center? Versus a, a versus a tractor pull versus Disney on ice. <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's it's it, it's it's an apples and oranges comparison because with live sports you have this massive media stream, right? Of course, so, yeah. um, you have your your television rights. In our case. You know, in the NBA's case, broadly, you have those games are broadcast all around the world, right? Whereas a concert is not, uh, for the most part. And so, and so, um, it's really an apples and oranges comparison. But I will tell you, like, when you come to a concert, it's they're generally sold out uh, in an arena like Barclays Center. Uh, so it's a really important part of our business. Yeah, John, I'd like to close with this because you and Eben have something in common. Um, Bertie tells me that you're an ultra marathoner. Uh, Eben is a triathlete. He did something not long. I don't even know what it was, Eben. I'll let, I'll let you guys discuss for like a minute because you're both insane. <laughs> but he said he actually got delirious. He, he started to you know hallucinate towards the end of the race. What is with you guys? That makes no sense to me. We have engines now. I understand why the guy ran a marathon because he had to. He had to get there. That's how far it was. But why are you running this far or whatever it is you're doing? We have engines. Tell me, please. Well, Evan, I, I'll tip my hat to you. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm a former marathoner at this point. My, my knees are shot, and and I'm limited to old man exercises at this point. But uh, Scott, it, the, the whole idea is to do things that are interesting and hard. There you go. That's why I created Sportico. It's not challenging. To <laughs> I can drive. do it sitting. I can do it sitting at a desk. I have to manage somebody like Evan. Are you kidding me? Interesting <laughs> and hard. You're on your own marathon. That's right, but I'm sprinting. That's the problem. Evan, you, you tell go. him. Uh, how, what did you close it out with? What with what you did? Yeah, I mean, I did my first hundred miler uh, two years ago, and I the final ten miles, I was hallucinating the entire time, <laughs> just seeing <laughs> shapes in the forest. At one point, I thought I saw a paramilitary outfit that was doing training exercises. Near this was me. a while ago, John. He was hallucinating to the point where he actually saw a vision of the Brooklyn Nets winning the NBA championship. That's oh. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Easy now, easy. <laughs> I, I, we kid because we love. John Abamondi, CEO, BSE Global, thank you so much for joining us. We do appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. Thanks, John. All right, Eben, great stuff from John Abamondi. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Social media coordinator Core Veltman likes us to tell you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub, the spoke of what will become the Sportico Podcast Network.